Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome to the 402nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Caroline Craighead. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we have Felicia Day on the podcast, someone that Matt and I have both known about for a very long time. I think Matt kind of had some connections to her. But there is some really, really, really unfortunate news, uh, which is that Matt did this interview without me. Rare occasion. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is my first interview without you. Yeah, but Felicia Day, the huge bummer is she's here to talk about her scripted podcast. Her scripted podcast, yeah. And I have a scripted podcast you also, have a scripted and I wasn't podcast. on the interview with her. And I brought it up. You know, look, it was a really great conversation. Felicia is a gifted creator, host, actor, all of the things. She pioneered a lot of the... She pioneered web video for us. Like, we were kind of writing on her coattails when we first... She invented vlogging <laughs> <laughs> but she did she did invent uh create the show the guild in which she also stars uh, which we talk about a decent amount um uh, but she has a new pod a new scripted podcast out called so she has a new podcast out called third eye but she's you know she's gifted at speaking eloquently about all sorts of creative uh, all sorts of topics specifically we dig in on the nature of creativity and how she kind of reinvented her creative process over the pandemic uh, and through this this podcast, essentially. Did she tell you about how she originally pitched it as a TV show? We did talk about that. Um, and then also how she found a rhythm in having to write, essentially, this entire show herself and how she broke that. And um, we, we go pretty deep. It's pretty great. You know, it's funny because we are old pals, not like we're best friends, but we've known each other for a long time. And so... But I think I feel like she kind of is one of those people where it feels like you've known them for a long time, no matter what. If we talk about her history, we talk about the evolution of not just web media, but just kind of making things as people our age, more or less. And so I think it's a really good conversation if you're thinking about what your next steps are, if you're curious about podcasting in general, or just curious about other mediums that aren't strictly filmmaking and why you might be interested in experimenting in that way she's got graphic novels going she's writing a ton it's pretty it's a good conversation that's awesome i can't wait to hear it especially since i we got our next three episodes of my scripted podcast ordered Mm -hmm. and so we're like uh oh no we have to write more (laughs) yeah congratulations or by the way we got the pilot finally accepted after a few rounds of notes and now it's like let's do two through four and it's um you know 
it's like all you want is for them to love it. But then when they do, it's really intimidating to write more episodes. Reminds me yeah. of this the Seinfeld special where Larry David, after Seinfeld got picked up, he got he had like an anxiety attack. He's like, it took us so long to write this first episode. Like, how on earth are we going to write an entire season? And after that, it got picked up for another season and he like almost lost it. You know, <laughs> he's like, yeah. uh, but it, I, I love that some of the best best pieces of writing were written by people who were scared to write. I think also, you know, look at the muscle, things get a little bit easier. And, you know, in success, you figure out the voice of the show. The, the first episode is the hardest to write because you're still figuring it out, you know. Mm -hmm. And I would, uh, I don't know if you've rewatched the first season of Seinfeld in a while, Oren, but it's um not as good as the no. when they hit their stride. You really? You don't think it's Yeah, good? dude. Well, I know yeah, I've, I've read the pilot. Yeah, um, the pilot, the first episode, there's a reason you haven't seen it many times. Right. Well, right? First like of all, it's at, only George and Jerry. There's no Elaine or Kramer in it. it, it they, they just hadn't figured it out yet. Yeah. They'd figured out that it was like about nothing, about the little, little things in life. Also, this is weird, but like there are things like in the coffee shop, they're at a table instead of a booth. Jerry wears a baseball shirt, which mm. is so strange. All, all of the things that you recognize Seinfeld to be, it isn't yet. So, right. you know, I guess my advice, Oren, is like write like a couple seasons, put <laughs> together a really incredibly gifted room of um, gifted comedy writers, and then you yourself evolve as a, as a voice and as a writer for a few years, and then, then you'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, do you know that we've been working on this uh, show since before COVID? Uh, so... My writing partner, Julie, was like, if we keep going at this pace, we will be done writing the show in like 2028 or something. So <laughs> hopefully yeah. it'll go out of style and back in style. By then. <laughs> well, uh, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, I'm so excited to listen to this episode, too. I will be listening along with you all in your gymnasiums running mm -hmm. on the treadmill mm -hmm. listening to this podcast anyway you should go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod where you can throw us a buck or two uh, to keep the show going we're incurring more costs like crazy matt's stylist is now has just raised her rates and patreon.com slash the shooter pod <laughs> that's where you should go one dollar two dollars four hundred and twenty five dollars i challenge you we are um we are on the the brink of recording special content for patrons only. So if you want to get in on that, if you want to be one of the people who gets additional Just Shoot It content, go to patreon.com slash justshootitpod and be the first to hear it. Especially you, the person that we saw on Instagram that said uh, that we were their most listened to podcast, according to Spotify. Couple people, shout out to them. So now uh, you better you better keep it up. You know what's really daunting is when you see how many minutes they listen to us yammer. And you think, boy. Yeah. You're like, you should be watching. You should be listening in two, two times the speed. <laughs> I was listening to Jordan Brady's podcast. He just had a guest that is also a listener of his. And his guest said, it's so weird to hear your voice in single speed, like 1x. Sure. sure. <laughs> uh, so that was a funny comment. Okay, enough wasting everyone's time. Let's talk to Felicia Day. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Felicia Day, welcome to Just Shoot It. Very excited to have you on. When I saw your name pop up as far as a uh, interview, I was like, what? Matt, how do I know that? Wait, that's Matt, 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 Matt. We go way back uh, from the internet days. Normally I have a co-host as well, Oren Kaplan, who also did a lot of web video back in the day, but kind of somehow in a different circle. As small a, a community as it was, there were circles. Do you miss it? Do I miss the web video days? Yeah, I yeah. mean, isn't it weird that a whole like you know like a whole filmmaking uh, community just disappeared because they became irrelevant? I don't know. It's like the the, the talkies came in and it's like oh sure. silent film, no way. I miss the first couple years where mm-hmm. we were just kind of like it was kind of like Sundance, you know, we were just making stuff without permission. We were all thinking we're real cool. We were just shooting on our houses, and you know, a lot of people were making artistic like really pseudo television stuff sure and indie film it was indie film and then it became very much personality driven and then the ad sales kind of ruined any chance of making anything with a budget and you know it all disappeared so it was a long you know i was in it until i left my company in 2018 so essentially i was still in it but it was the dying years you know the Mm -hmm. last couple Mm -hmm. years were just it was so clear that the i mean it was clear that the writing was on the wall when I tried to get the Guild um, season seven made, and they were like, well, no, no, we're not going to fund things at that level. I'm like, what level are you talking about? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> at that time you were like, you spent 200000 th- on something and you are just must be burning money for fun. Sure. I mean, honestly, the, the <laughs> attitude was so weird. 
And what I always wanted to do was like mini TV. And that quickly proved to be untenable. And Mm -hmm. so then everything turned to non-scripted and and quick and dirty things and just volume, volume, volume. And it was just not what I I loved. So yeah, I would, I miss like the first four years. And then after like 2011, when I started a YouTube company, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) that was, well, it was actually 2012 because I tried, I did a really lot of a cool, like scripted stuff, the first slate. And then all of that was wiped clean. They're like, you can't do that anymore. Just do stuff that will get more hits and cost less. And I was like, oh, oh, wait, what? (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Kind of the same, you know, like uh, it felt really. Like, oh, maybe we were all going to own our own IP and build a livelihood around this. And, um, you know, things kind of shifted. But uh, the good I mean, news some is... some people made it. Some people made it. Like, sure. I mean, listen, Issa Rae, my sure. God, like she's a juggernaut, you know? I remember sure. going to lunch with her and telling her, please do not start a company, girl. <laughs> and this was before, you know, she even had her show. And, um, you know, uh, Rachel Bloom, again, sure. started from web video. Um, uh, what was it? Uh the Comedy Central, but Broad City. Sure, you know, Broad there City. Was still, yeah, yeah. A lot of them already had like deep, inner, you know, Hollywood roots already. It was a, mm-hmm. a vehicle to try to create IP. But, you know, I mean, some people made it through. It just was much rarer than you would have thought. Um, and you really already had to be inside it and like show them your work. And then that was something that their people could use to get them to another level. And, you know, yeah, it was fun. I'm curious to see what the next few years um, evolve into for young filmmakers, because I think there is kind of like, there's no farm system for for people who want to like make television or especially on the directing side. It's like without, you know, a college humor or a funnier die or, you know, um, anything like that. There's not really a way to learn how to work with a crew and that that's going to have to change somehow. Um, and maybe it won't be a DIY sort of avenue. Maybe it'll be, you know, more, I don't know, different programs and like, you know, all of these different networks have those sort of uh, systems where they're kind of like selecting a panel of people and like, yeah. you know, maybe that works. I don't know. But something has to change because, you know, TV directors are still like, a lot of them are still like in their 50s and 60s. And it's like, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, you really have Somebody to go through a training Somebody moved that guy's program. porch, right? Yeah. I mean, when I first, yeah. You know, I've worked with a lot of student film, you know, USC and UCLA. That's how I started. And and quite frankly, uh, as as Hollywood as you can be, those, those, I mean, you learn a lot, but you don't learn how to be on a set. You, I yeah. mean, those those students are starting from zero when they get on a professional set, right? And I wish I had known that, you know? I mean, I wish I had not done acting scene study classes and I just volunteer for more film sets and watch actors work because when you're on on set it's a completely different world than um acting you know on a stage or acting in a scene study or whatever and um yeah you're right i mean i think that what is interesting is like you could have like freddie wong you know doing like amazing blockbuster type uh gra- and i what why Freddie? Freddie never, you know, did a, a big, big movie is beyond me. Maybe that was his choice. I've never really talked to him about it. But like there was some filmmaking in the in the day that was really, really amazingly high quality. And, you know, transitioning whether you didn't want to or not, like it, it's it's very interesting. And I think, 
you know, if you look at TikTok and stuff, there's some amazing filmmaking going on there. Like, you know, you really have to be savvy about where the camera is, transitions, like perform, you know, everything but performance probably. Um, but again, that's not going to teach you how to work with 200 people. And that's <laughs> really, really tough. And it's, it's intimidating and it's hard. And boy, I'm, I mean, I, I won't end. I don't envy people who have to make that transition. You really do need to get your feet wet somehow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also the politics of it all, right? Um, like, uh, and this maybe is a great segue into like the difference between being able to put together an awesome web series, for instance, and running your own company or pitching your own IP, your own ideas to corporations, right? is a totally different skill set, right? And I think, um, you know, you were the poster child of kind of watching that evolution happen, right? You started, you know, The Guild was a show that was like self-funded or, or, you know, I take it back. It was even like you had a PayPal button, right? Back in the day, it was very scrappy. Yeah. Yeah, it was the scrappiest. It was before Kickstarter, we had a PayPal button and we pre-sold DVDs. (laughs) <laughs> and then Kickstarter came out like the next year, but then we got funding through Xbox, but I always retained the IP. And then we took it back to YouTube part of my, as part of my YouTube company, Geek and Sundry, which was a funded YouTube channel. Um, they funded it for two years and then I sold it to Legendary Entertainment. And yeah, I mean, it was definitely, everybody kind of looked at me as like, whoa, that's, that's the, that's the template, man. Sure. But like. Uh, I, and I'm honored. I'm honored. But uh, yeah, behind the scenes, it wasn't as fun. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll just well, tell you that. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so I guess I'm curious about, um, about you know, it's almost like you're getting an MBA in real time, right? Like you you start oh, as yeah. like an actor and then all of a sudden you're running your own company. Um, Not well. <laughs> Not well. <laughs> gotcha. I'll just tell you that right now. Like, I know how I'll be on set 15, 16 hours and I won't like sweat it, but I'm in an office for one hour and I'm like getting the hives. And this is my own company, right? <laughs> so it was not, and I didn't have the skill sets and I wasn't able to find the right partners to take it and make it a business. And I, business making of film and content is like a whole nother deal. And unless you are able to surround people yourself with people who really know how to do what you need to do, which none of us did because we were all inventing it. So I can't even blame anybody. We were all just doing our best. And I hit on some great ideas, but baking those ideas into profitable businesses wasn't something I could necessarily, you know, connect the dots with. And that's why we weren't a multi-billion dollar company where we're selling it, you know, because I, I wasn't willing to do some of the things that I needed to do, like become an MCN, you know, just rolling up people's companies and telling these talent, you know, these these poor, innocent people that, hey, I'm going to play ads or you're going to make money. And really, you're just, you know, you're a name on a spreadsheet to try to get money from bigger people and you're never going to be handled right. Like, I wouldn't do it. And of course, you know, I probably should have just to make money, but it would it was not the business I wanted to be in. And that's yeah. what web video became. Right, right. Yeah. And so for uh, listeners who don't know, MCN was a multi-channel network, right? So there was a handful of companies that, um, like Felicia was saying, just kind of sucked up any willing person with any sort of following, promising them, oh, we'll, we'll sell ads for you. You don't have to worry about it. You can focus on the creative. We'll manage you almost, yeah. We'll man- yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, um, unfortunately, whether they were lying or just had good intentions and it didn't pan out, the ad market wasn't there to support 
basically anything, right? Yeah. But the 1% people did cash out, like Maker, Machinima. Like, you, I mean, sure. I can name like 10 companies, Defy. Like, they were all these companies with these dudes who were always making business at mixers. And I was like, oh, they really know what they're doing. But I'm like, it turned out they didn't. They were just building a shell um, that was attractive enough that one of them would get bought by Disney or one of them would got, get bought by, you know, and then they'd shut down eventually because it just didn't work. But it was all a shell game. This is what I've discovered about most business. It really is just all a shell game until you could sell to the highest bidder and get your get your money out. I mean, that really is. Sure. That's not what I did uh, with my company, you know, but at, at the end of the day, that's what the, I guess the quote unquote smart people did. But again, I didn't want to do it for that reason. And I guess naivety got me to where I am now, <laughs> sure, which is sure. like I'm still making scrappy. <laughs> right. Well, I think also we were kind of uh, at the nexus of like technology being really exciting. Right. Like, yeah. You were huge on Twitter like that. It was like, oh, Twitter is new. And like there are people who can get famous on it. And like just yeah. from, you know, thinking out loud and, you know, promoting their show and stuff like that. You can own your own audience that way. And I, I wonder if maybe some of that shell corporation plan, it feels very tech to me. Right. Like yeah. you're just burning money as fast as you can, hoping that you're going to get acquired by Google or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but also, I mean, what appealed to me was that, you know, I've been in the business a long time. Like, I moved here in, like, 2000, 2001. And I know that my sensibilities and my stories are not that attractive to the business of Hollywood. It just, they aren't, you know? I mean, I've gone back time and time again, like, okay, this is it. This is the realm where you're going to sell that TV show. This is what you're going to do. And I'll go around and I'll pitch. I'm very good at pitching. I'll be like, that's the best pitch I've ever heard. It's not quite right for us right now. Like over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And like, that's why I kind of clung to the web um, way past the time where I was like, I saw the writing on the wall. But like just the fact that I could have my little corner and make the things that I, I wanted to make was enough. Because, again, like, uh, you know, part of the story is the, this Audible project that we'll talk about eventually. But, you know, that was a TV show. The Guild was a TV show did want to get made and I loved it so much. I'm like, I'm going to figure out how to make this. And like the years that I was pitching after I left my company, I was like, okay, now is it. You're not, you don't have that company anymore. You could sell a TV show. And again, I'm just banging my head against a wall and maybe, and, and at, at a certain point, you just try to figure out like, what story can I tell that these people will buy? And then you're not even telling your story. You're telling a story that's, a, you know, you're trying to service somebody else's need for a story. And that's just not why I want to do this. Like, I love acting and I love hosting and I make a fine living doing that. And I could tell my stories however I want to tell them. That's that's the career I'd rather have than be working on a show that I kind of sold because, like, some executive likes it. But I, it's not what I want to do every week. So I don't know. Yeah. That's I, I, it's just me. <laughs> yeah. Well, well it, it's interesting also because, um, you know, you've made a name for yourself in a very specific niche like your brand is crystal clear right so the guild yeah. was about online gamers who kind of came together in real life um to you know support each other and hijinks ensued right and you you're, you know even your books they always mention weird in the name there's always like a fantasy element you were on eureka you were on the magicians like it's you're you're very clearly in the world of conventions right like yeah. you're yeah. you're a, a genre star uh, you know, and yeah, so it's, that's it's, well, that's what I want to be. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm great. For sure. I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Same. Same. Um, and that's wonderful. But so I guess what I'm saying is, is like your your brand precedes you, and so when you're going into pitch, 
you know, presumably it's clear to executives, you know, what flavor you're selling. Do you no. know what I mean? No. No, because that's my problem. And that I will blame on myself. You know, I think that I got the, I, I did not have good representation. And I won't say that they weren't good people. They just were not for me and they didn't understand me. And so I went, you know, many years with not even auditioning for a genre piece. I would go in for network comedies because I'm a very good comedic actor. And I will say Mm -hmm. that I think my strengths are comedy and I tend to play comedic characters within genre pieces. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of Mm -hmm. my mark. And it's a very, as you said, it's a very narrow niche, but it's what I love doing and I I do it well. Uh, I think for mainstream Hollywood people, they're like, oh, she's funny. We'll just put her in a comedy. Mm-hmm. And I would meet with like Adam Sandler's company and like all these. And I'm like, at a certain point, I'm like getting down on myself because I'm not selling a comedy mm-hmm. and I'm not selling anything. I'm not getting hired. And I'm just like, what? I must be terrible. No, it wasn't me. It was the, the what was terrible with me is that I was so lost after my company was sold and I was kind of stripped of all my web stuff. I didn't know who I was. And I kind of let other people handle me. And I think the most important thing you can do in this business is really identify who you are, what you want to do and where you want to go. And I, you know, I had a reputation. And when I went back to Hollywood, I just, I didn't know not to believe other people enough. Right. Because it's like, I'm in a new world. I I need to let other people's advice lead me because I don't know if I'm doing it right. And they didn't know more than me. They don't. They don't know anything more than you. I promise you. Yeah, no, I I love that. That's that is great advice, and it, it, frankly, pretty eye opening, right? Because, you know, from the outside looking in, we were joking about how long it's been since we've caught up. You know, we're acting like you stepped away from Hollywood, but you've been on TV this whole time. Yeah, <laughs> I've been know? working. I've been <laughs> yeah, working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I had I haven't had any acting um, or any representation. I have not had a representative except for voiceover and books since 2018, until like That's two wild. months ago. I finally hired someone. And you're right. It was just all people calling me. Um, Right. Again, because the brand is so strong. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you know who'd be right for this? Felicia Day. Yeah, but I I haven't even been on breakdowns. And so I kind of just had to quit. I really had to, for my own mental health, step away and figure out what I wanted to do because I was blaming everybody else for not getting where I wanted to go. And I didn't even, I at the time didn't even know where I wanted to be. And mm-hmm. I didn't know how to get there. And I wasn't firm enough to be like, hey, this is these are the people I need to help me get there. And this is, these are my goals. And yeah, it seems like an eternity, but it really was COVID. So it seems like it was one year ago, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. It was a, a substantial amount of time. And in that time, I did a lot of video game streaming and soul searching and raising my kid and being a human being and writing a lot. And I, mm-hmm. I, I discovered that the stories I want to tell are not necessarily television stories. They're not going to be like Pete things that I pitched to ABC and are bought instantly. It might be a book that I write that somebody options, but at the end of the day, I just want to make things and I don't want to be in development for years, which I was for a bunch of projects. And it's like, this is not fun for me. I don't want to yeah. develop this for three years and then have nothing happen again and again and again. That's what happened. And so yeah. I'm at a much better place because I know exactly what I want to be doing with my time as a storyteller and as also as an actor. Can I, I, I relate to so much of this Felicia, um, <laughs> um, especially like you know, you, uh, the development stuff is it's it's truly brutal, um, and is the thing that you know. I think when we were all starting out, you thought that was the prize. It was like, oh, I sold yeah. a show to this place. Like, how cool is that to say? And then you cash a little check, and you're like, oh, maybe this is 
going to be something and you spend years wasted. But but I'm curious though um you you mentioned, you know, like uh, writing, playing video games, li- just living your life. Were there any um practical like any practices, anything you did to recenter yourself to help you figure things out, right? Um any yeah, tangible I, like exercises maybe is what I'm asking. I mean, I wrote a, a creativity book, actually. I wrote a book called uh, Embrace Your Weird. And it was, I wrote that in 2019. So it really was the start of me figuring myself out. And it was, you know, I don't know if you've ever done The Artist Way by Julia Cameron. Yeah. So that's. I, I've, I'm married to a person who's done The Artist Way. Okay. <laughs> so so, so like. The I did the lightweight way, version. You did the lightweight <laughs> version. So basically yeah. I did The Artist Way and that's what got me to write The Guild. And yeah. got my career on track. So I will say that even though there's a lot of spirituality in there that does not connect with me, that book really helped. And I went back to do it and I was like, oh, this God stuff. I hate it. You know, I was really like, oh. And I ended up wanting to write my own version without the God stuff that really made people dig into their past, their present, their future, their dreams, overcoming procrastination, jealousy, all of it. And I put it in a book and the end result is like, you got to pick something to work on now that you really figured out who you are. And this is a complete excuse for me to put myself back together after leaving my company, after having a child, which really transforms your whole outlook on life and just kind of like being naked for a while and not really knowing what to wear. So that book really, really helped me uh, in writing it. And sometimes I even go back and read a book on, you know, there's an, uh, there's a chapter on, you know, anxiety and procrastination, which is, I need to go back and read right now because I'm totally procrastinating from writing my next project. <laughs> Listen, but you're like, talking to somebody with a podcast, Felicia. So. Yeah, I know. Listen, I have two. No one listens to that. I mean, if, the people who listen to him, I love you. It's not a substantial audience, but I'm like, I'm just going to keep doing it. Anyway, so yeah, that book really helped me. And out of that book, I ended up, you know, committing to writing this Audible project that ended up being, I don't know, 400 pages of scripted <laughs> content. And like, there is no way that I ever want to be able to confront that or tackle it before. Wait, and I was wait, just hold, like, hold on. Did you walk in to pitch with a 400, a 400 page manuscript oh, no, behind no, no, you? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. No, no, no. <laughs> I had the pilot I had written in 2016. Um, and this was a project that I, having sold my company to Legendary, I was like, hey, you guys, they gave me a development year, which was amazing. And they were like, this is the script I want to, I want to act in and I want to write and I want to sell. And um, they were like, great. Uh, they, they were like, we'll help you develop it. We'll help you package it. The guy who bought my company got fired like the week after and sure. nothing really ended up being exactly what I thought. It w- I'm not going to talk really about all of that, but it was again, not, you think you're in the trades, you mm-hmm. sold a company, mm-hmm. you have a development deal. Like it all should be rosy and it's all, it's Hollywood. Nothing's rosy on, sure. nothing's rosy except in the trades when the gloss is on there. So it is truly hard to explain how frequently you will get a deal and then your champion gets fired. Always happens to people. It is not uncommon. Always. 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 That happened to um a, a, an animation show that I was producing that was incredible. It sold to Freeform. I was in the trades. I feel fancy finally. Mm-hmm. And it gets developed. We're paraded around. The guy, they bring in a new head of, of content. And she's like, mm-hmm. nope, we're, yeah. we're wiping the slate clean. You know, and it's just like, it is what it is. And you can't fight it. You just have to roll with it. But you got to figure out how you can exist outside it. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, you just become a depressed a-hole, which I'm sure I was. and I. 
hope I hope I don't get go back to that again. But it, it's it's very hard not to if you're in the business. Yeah. So so tell me a little bit more about Third Eye, which is the project that you ended up taking um, and pitching around. You know, it, so it's a podcast. Like you mentioned originally, it was maybe going to be a TV show. When did you realize, oh, this is a podcast? And what what walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, I had, I like I said, I had tried to sell this in 2016 with Legendary. I had to get my own showrunner on board. We went and pitched it. He was not, he was uh, amazing, but he was not a half hour showrunner. I was pitching a genre half hour, which at the time nobody had done since like Bewitched. Nobody wanted to hear it. The Comedy Central exec looked at me like I pooped on a table when I mentioned there's a vampire. It was not a very smooth process. Um, there were business reasons why it didn't sell to a couple places. So anyway, et cetera, et cetera, it didn't. And I was devastated. I mean, I was so, my, my, uh, my staff at Geek and Sundry actually made me a neon sign with third eye on it because they were like, this is your deal. This is it. This is your time. I still have that sign. It's and behind my just, desk. You just walked into the office and turned it off. <laughs> You're just like, boom. Yeah. So two years went by almost. And like 2018, um, a William Morris, I was at William Morris at the time. And one of the, the podcasting agent was like, hey, um, I think this could be, you know, why don't we try to shop it around? And I think I sh they showed it to a couple places. And one of the Audible execs was a writer and he really responded to it. And within like, you know, uh, it was a slow process uh, to get all the contracts done, but they, they bought it and they were like, great, you can write it like a TV show. You can have a staff of writers. We'll get it done in six months. And the minute I signed the contract, COVID hit and all those plans went up into air. And I was like, well, I'm still being paid a little amount for this. I'm going to just write it. And I just, I was like, I'm just going to do it myself. I need seven hours of content or six hours was like the minimum. And it was 10 episodes of television. And I had not ever, that was as much, there's as much content in Third Eye as six seasons of the Guild. Sure. I'll say that. <laughs> so yeah. it's a whole 10 episodes. So that's it. it. And I wrote it and it took uh, two and a half years. I don't know. It was on and off. It wasn't like continuous writing. But sure. Was... Yeah. You didn't, you weren't like, I'll be back, honey. And then locked the door and started typing. Right. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wouldn't it be nice? Um, but so well, tell us a little bit about the gear shift then, like, because uh, all of a sudden you're writing for audio, right? Like, you know, like all the, the, the show don't tell mantra it gets turned on its head a little bit, right? You still, it's still true. You still have to do that, but you don't have a moving image behind you anymore. Yeah, that was a big learning curve. I had written a half hour, I had written like a 40, it was more like a 45 page pilot that ended up becoming the outline for the first two episodes for this. And again, uh, I, I come from a visual medium. I also come from a short form medium. Mm -hmm. So like writing, <laughs> this was a big, you know, and I had written pilots. I had adapted Red Sonia for like the Weinstein Company and they never paid me. It's great because they went bankrupt. Um, but they still own my my characters and my story. So that's great. Hi, Hollywood. Um, yeah. You know, so I developed TV. I've written several um, pilots. Again, you know, samples. Ended up being samples because nobody wanted to buy them. But um, so to confront this amount of material was very intimidating. I did have a writer who briefly came in and kind of was, had some staff experience and we started breaking the, the, the show, but then he had to leave. So it was basically me. Um, and I ended up reading this book called Into the Woods by, I believe his name is James York. And I have read a lot of um, screenwriting books and I have always found all of them to be 
either either intimidating or not inspiring. Nothing has ever inspired me until I read this book. And this was um, recommended to me by John Rogers, who is a huge you know sh- uh, showrunner, created Leverage and like 20 other shows. So anyway, I read this book and for some reason it really clicked with me. And the basis of it is really about the five act structure, um, which is very popular in um, the BBC in Britain. Is, and he used to, I think, be an executive at BBC. So like the five act structure worked perfectly for my 10 episode podcast, right? And so I just started digging in and it's the only time I've ever read a book that really gave me a handle on how to kind of break structure and build story and character. And I'm a very character, you know, based writer. I'm not very good at twists and turns. I'm really, I'm just like, let's get in a character's head and just walk around. And I'm like that with all my characters and like, let's create relationships and like have heart, but also have a lot of funny jokes. So this is definitely a comedy, but you know, there's moments of reality and underneath it all is that sense of failure that I felt um, because the, the, the show is about a failed chosen one, kind of like Harry Potter, like, you know, chokes and doesn't beat Voldemort. And like 10 years later, how do you live with yourself essentially? And so that sense of like being a failed prodigy in a way um, was something I could really associate with and sort of gnash on emotionally while I was doing all these jokes. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that really helped me and that book really helped me just break down. And, you know, I, I, I started from a, you know, an episode structure, uh, episode sort of character arcs over 10 episodes. I broke it down even more. You know, I, I would scatter around. I had the not clean process. I am not efficient. I'm not clean. I'm not a professional TV writer who can just let it like, oh yeah, it's that scene from Firefly. Go. Uh, I can't do it. But at the end of the day, I, I, I had the quiet of COVID to really mm-hmm. still my need to get back into Hollywood and be torn to pieces in a way. Sure. And it really helped me. So I kind of found my groove in my own work and not trying to please other people. And it allowed me to spend that time on it. And I'm really blessed because I know going forward that, you know, I, I'm not gonna be able to have the stillness of that time, mm-hmm. how depressing and still and terrible it was. But at the end of the day, um, I could find it for myself because I know that I have it in me. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Um, Felicia, you can tell you're so good at talking. I, I, I could just turn my mic off and just let oh, you keep going. No, no, it's, it's wonderful. I was like, oh, you're answering all the questions I have. So you're breaking, right? You figured it out. Five act structure. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, maybe I'm a little foggy on it relative. I think of it as like a traditional American television structure. Is it different in some way? Like cold well, open and one, two, three and, or, I mean, or no. it's more like how to approach the, it's more of an accordion structure. It's it's less like here are the here are the commercial breaks, which I'm sure you could just stick in. But like this is this is like he's taking the Godfather and like movies and kind of giving you an example of how mm-hmm. you know around a midpoint things sort of reflect each other around a midpoint. You know, as far as character arcs and where you're mm-hmm. going and where you're backing up to. And for some reason, it just uh, it just really works for me. Again, I've read yeah. every book. Every single, you know, save the cat, Joseph Campbell. Like I've read them all. They're all in my wall. None of them are like resonant and made me want to pick a pen up until I read this book. So yeah. that's just me. And I and and I think that's the thing that I really and I've taken classes. I think that's the thing that you gotta have to tell yourself that you're not bad or you're not not working right because something's not clicking for you. Other everybody's got different techniques, right? Mm-hmm. And you really just have to figure yourself out. You have to, again, it goes back to finding your voice, finding your process, finding how you work, 
what makes you excited to do this job? Because honestly, unless you're having some pleasure in it, why do this? Go somewhere else, please. You will make money better other places. So unless you're really enjoying the work, when you get the work, you get to work on something then. And yeah, you got to find the way you work. You got to find what makes you excited. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, the process is is its own reward, which can be a little trite to say sometimes. And, you know, I hear myself saying it, but like, if you don't like it, then then what are you doing? Because this is it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, to your point, like you were in the trades, you felt shiny, the, you know, all of that, you sold the company, all that stuff. But the if you didn't like the work that got you there, and that's not to say yeah. that you didn't, but you get what I'm saying, like, if you're trying to serve a different master, then all of a sudden um you can come up for air and realize oh I've, yeah I've I'm, it also me. is yeah the curse of like not to be you know like oh what is if success brings you options do you know what you want to do there and mm-hmm. i think that i got to a point where i was like i'm doing great you know like this is a, a amazing but it was not being able to see the my own forest for the trees and then i'm just like in somebody else's forest i'm just like what am i doing here i don't know i'm not good at this and then you just feel like a fraud cuz you're just like trying to put up an act of like, well, I'm still a success. I'm doing great. I love it. I love it. I really do. You know, and you're not, you're not loving it. You know, I think, and all of it is just me being an actor and like finally getting my parking validated and feeling like people aren't treating me like I'm a disposable piece of shit, you know, because as a woman, you know, you say you're an actor and people are going to be like, oh, is she, is she doable? No, moving on. And that's how you get treated. And you, you park in the, you know, you're just disposable. And when I started being, you know, a potential showrunner, people, you know, treated me nice and they treated me with respect and like I had something to contribute. And yet I thought that was what, you know, and and yet at the end of the day, unless they could use you, you're still disposable. You're just like slightly more interesting. Sure. Sure. Yeah. They just gave you a bottle of water with your parking validation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's a lot of OTJ, you know, on the job training. And on the job learning that it's a business and nobody's your friend and nobody's going to be there for you if they're just a business acquaintance. They're there for your success and they're not there for your down. You're, they're, they're there for your ups and not for your downs. So make sure to encircle yourself with people who will be there no matter what. Yeah. yeah I love that. Um, going back to the, the journey of the podcast, right? So you figured out how to crack it. You're writing. You feel pretty good about that. Maybe you get some notes or whatever. You kind of you're working your way through it, but then in, rather than being on set, you find yourself in an audio booth, right? And that's something that certainly you're very familiar with. But now, uh, again, you're as a, as a showrunner. Um, what was different, or how did you approach the act of recording these ten episodes, which is a pretty monumental amount of you know copy to get through, right? Yeah. Um, I want to go back to just, um, yeah, adapting something to audio was very, very challenging. And like, I had to come up with a reason and, and it was really introducing a narrator, um, Mm -hmm. to guide and who's, he's played by Neil Gaiman, which I can't even believe he agreed to do it, but he's very lovely and he's incredible. Can I just say how annoying to be that good of a writer with that voice? Oh, I know. Right. It's like when an athlete is, and he's funny. Right, yeah. you see, like he's a when, good improviser. He did improv. Oh, boy, boy, oh boy, so good at everything. I know. 
just it's, pick it's a lane. Okay. Just be just be one of the best graphic novelists of all time. And no, he's a novelist too. And a children's <laughs> book author. Yeah. yeah, he's pretty monumental. Yeah. And he's an incredible, yeah. incredible actor as well. Incredible. Yeah. So yeah, I had to, and I think one of the things with audio is like you really have to have a hook that makes it um understandable and gives you an um an ability to describe what's going on. And make it a reason that it's audio, because I know, mm-hmm. you know, in this sure. town, everybody's trying to do IP development and they're making their podcast that is clearly just a television sure. show. And yes, mine was a television show, but, you know, I'm not making it with, I mean, yeah, it'd be great if it was optioned. I know that's not going to happen. If it does happen, it won't get made. And if it does, that's the slimmest hope ever. And by goodness, I won the lottery. So fine. And it has not- to stand on its own either way. Exactly. Right? Like it yeah. has to be good. In order huh? for people to want to option it, right? Exactly, exactly. So, I, you know, the hook of finding the narrator was very important. But I will say that, you know, in the writing process, it was like 550 pages at one point. I brought a couple of my friends from Mystery Science Theater to come in and help me cut and, and do some joke pass. Um, and that got it down to 450. And then I was like, Felicia, you got to get rid of this. So, you know, it was just winnowing, winnowing, winnowing. I will say the Audible executives were amazing at their notes. They made me... You know, after being burned so far, you know, mm-hmm. so hard in, in Hollywood, I was like, oh, my God, somebody can give me notes and I, I enjoy implementing them and they help me. Mm-hmm. Amazing mm-hmm. experience. Um, and every scene, you really have to think, wow, am I confused at this point? Do mm-hmm. I know what's going going on? Do I need to add exposition lines to like describe? And this is like, you know, I conceived it as like a triple A fantasy movie, like a Harry Potter or whatever. So like there's action. There's mm-hmm. like, you know, movement. There's characters coming in and out. There's a huge cast. There's explosions. There's magic. Like, how are we not going to get lost in all of this? And that was really a really long process. And it, and that process happened until the end of editing. You know, mm-hmm. we would get into a scene. And I'd be like, I'm going to cut these lines. I don't like them. This, this scene is feeling slow. I'm going to add like a fork hitting a, a, a cup here because I think it's going to help this line. We're going to add a reverb on this. Like, it was six months of post. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very different process. As far as recording, I mean, that's just having fun with people. Like I, I was confident the scripts were really tight and I, I just hired perfect people, you know, and they were all mostly friends. And I personally read with all of them because I didn't perfect. want it to be sound stiff because a lot of audio things for me sound really stiff. And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't want that. I don't want that quality. I want it to feel like people are just in a room with people overhearing mm-hmm. what's going on. So that's, that's all of that. It was, let me just tell you, it was from the time we started recording and it was a year ago, October, we wrapped in July. So that's how long it took to record and wow. do post. And it was rushed. It's crazy. So then let me ask then, you said that, um, you know, because the cast is great, right? There's a, a ton of awesome names. Again, some similar sort of like, I would say, genre. icons, genre. Yeah, genre Sean icons. Astin, yeah, Will Sean Astin. Danny Pudi's on here. Steve Agee yeah. is an old favorite of mine. How how did Neil come about? How did that happen? I just know him from parties, and I emailed him, and I did not expect him. To, he was on a list, and I was like, "Well, of course he's my number one favorite." And Audible was like, "He'd be great." I'm like, "Yeah, he would. He's not gonna do this." <laughs> and I was like, "And of course, I get this crawling sense of like, oh God, I have to ask a friend a favor." And like, this is my whole career. Like, sure. I've never paid anybody what they deserve to be on anything. And I've never been paid what I deserve to be on anything I've done. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I am really lucky because people think what I do is cool. 
And, you know, hopefully it's successful and gets some attention and makes people feel cool being in it. And yeah, that's how. And he literally, when he emailed me back, I didn't, I was like, he's not going to do it. And and he's like, hey, I'm going to do this. Not because um, I'm your friend, but I think it's really good. And I started crying at my email. (laughs) Yeah. Because for somebody like that to tell me, you think this is good? I mean, I don't, you know. It'd be great to be a phenomenon. I don't think anything's a phenomenon right now, but I know that a lot of people enjoy it. And the fact that Neil Gaiman like even just said that it was decent was like, oh, well, I don't care what happens from now on. I won. So you've learned all of this stuff, right? You've kind of, you've walked through, you've been to hell and back, right? So to speak. Do you want to do more podcasts? Where Where's your head at? Where's oh. your heart at now that you've kind of, you know, third eye is out in the world and like, um, looking back, what do you want to do next? I mean, yeah, I'm really proud of it. It's won some awards. It's been on the best of the year list for a couple things. And yeah, I mean, I actually, this year, I had a feature that I've been trying to get made for like eight years. And I did this weird crypto thing that they ended up stealing all my money, but (laughs) I had enough money that they had given me to do a project. And I was like, well, I just have some money. Um, I'm going to make a podcast. So I essentially self-financed in a way um, this feature and uh one of the actors from the guild jeff lewis wrote it and you know i helped him over the years we've done like 20 revisions of this thing and we revise it again to make it have a reason that it's a podcast a little hook mm-hmm. and i just recorded on my own and you know I, I hired a new manager and i'm like hey go see if you can sell this to somebody if not i'll just release it on bandcamp for five dollars yeah. each and hopefully make my money back so yeah i i do i mean for me it's the only venue that you can really make something scripted and significant that mm-hmm. you can afford because you can't make something with a camera anymore. I mean, God forbid you try to make a web series. I, I just, I cringe trying to think like, oh, I could just shoot in my house. I'm like, no, you cannot sure. do that again. Yeah, yeah. And no one will watch again. it. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, Sundance announcements were today and there is a whole episodics, you know, section now. Really? Uh, of, Independent yeah. and episodics? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's been going for a couple years. And boy, I'm jealous of the cameras they get to shoot with now. Yeah. You know, everything looks I mean, so buttery and great. It's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I mean, the Guild was on SD. The Guild season one was SD. And it's like, people are like, where's the Blu-ray? I'm like, A, I can't afford that. B, there is no Blu-ray. Buddy, that's it. That's his Blu-ray. <laughs> that's my face. <laughs> yeah. It's it's fascinating that you're coming full circle, right? You're just kind of back to doing the DIY, just shoot it model, um, uh, rather or rather just record it. Uh, yeah, just record case. it. Well, I'm yeah, I'm, I won't say that I've settled on audio as like my form. I mean, I, I wrote sure. a graphic novel over um, last year, and that's I sold that to Simon and Schuster, so that's going to be out 2025, which is wild that that takes so long. But again, books are even slower than audio mm-hmm. podcasts. I have another graphic novel. And then next year, I'm hoping to do like two stage plays. So yeah, I'm, but I'm, I'm literally just concentrating on the venues that I could tell, like I can self-finance a graphic novel through Image or a mm-hmm, couple other companies. Mm-hmm. So I'm literally, my, my whole life is just going to be writing my stories however I can, even if it becomes a Kindle single, I don't care. And then hopefully people employ me as an actor and a host and a voiceover actor, you know, I love doing it, but I don't want to deadlift that. And I don't want to send my stories through the juggernaut because I, A, they're not going to make it out. And B, I just want to make stuff and I want to control all of it. And that's where my joy comes. So 
if I can make that the next 10 years before I just retire and stream video games, I'm okay. Awesome. Well, amen to that, Felicia. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, before we hop into unpaid endorsements, um, where can listeners uh, find you so that they can keep track of all of the incredible things that you're doing? Yeah, you could just find me anywhere at Felicia Day, except TikTok is Felicia.Day. I have a brand new website at Felicia.Day because dot .day is an extension now, which I thought was so cool. And you can get Third Eye at audible.com slash Third Eye. So yeah, I'm I'm basically, I, I stream on Twitch because, not because it's my job, it's just my hobby and I love it. And, you know, hopefully now that I have representative, I mean, representation, I might get acting work. If not, I'll be online and I'll just be, you know, making my stuff. I have a newsletter, a couple podcasts, you know, again, just never stopping. I just like, yeah. again, I like making things. Yeah, I, I, I love all of this. And I have to tease you a tiny bit because... Please do. You, <laughs> you know, you're like, ah, I really had to find myself. And so I wrote a book and then uh, then I recorded this incredible podcast. And then also I sold a couple graphic novels. And I also have this side thing, Twitch streaming. <laughs> you're the busiest depressed person I've ever heard, Felicia. <laughs> I mean, I just... Well, and raising a like kid at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we made like dozens of videos a week like i don't know if you ever got did you get sucked into the sort of like let's make all everything you know like kind of web video because yeah Yeah, yeah. and it's you literally are like shitting out ideas like a machine gun and like you know i i had the idea to do D &D, you know uh streaming and there's this group called critical role that i basically discovered and now they were able to make their own thing and now they're like they have their own amazon show right like like a billionaire yeah yeah. they're just they had their own amazon several amazon shows they've turned in because they had not only did they have talent but they have business savvy and they had the ability to own their ip um but you know tabletop was an amazing show i wish we could have kept making but i don't own the rights anymore like we made a lot of great stuff. It was just like the mandate was to just make things cheaper and faster. And it got to the point. I'm, I'm, you're nodding like you know this, but it's just the frenzy of just not putting any thought into what you're making so that it won't last beyond the moment. But it's like, just do it because we might get some ads against it. It was just debilitating artistically. It was like, there was no way you're going to make anything last. And you don't have a voice that you're saving up to turn into something better. You're just like vomiting onto the screen all the time. And like, I, I, again, I, I think we made some great stuff considering it, but it was a fight and it was just exhausting and it burnt me out. You know, I, I had no soul left. Yeah. You know, it, it, you make me think though, that because you, you mentioned D and D you mentioned just, you know, general podcasting, conversational podcasting, being a part of that. Right. Twitch yeah. streaming, there. These are all now solidified genres and formats. Or, or tabletop is an even yeah. example, right? Now we all recognize those as their own genres and their own that have their own audience. And, and you know, if you'd started tab- a tabletop show now, there's a whole yeah. subgenre of, of influencers who are doing that and like yeah, 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 a real ad market now, right? And but it's interesting to hear you say like, well, you Twitch stream and you also write your own passion projects. I wonder if maybe it's just that we've kind of segmented the expectations a little bit more and that when you're tri- Twitch streaming, you're not using the part of your brain that you use when you're screenwriting, for instance. No, Does yeah. that make sense? I mean, uh, no. I mean, I, mean, like, I mean, you're saying that, well, I mean, 
being scattered is probably my my biggest problem in the world. Sure, but again, but it's not I don't a compartment. <laughs> you have it compartmentalized. It's not, a it's not like oh, there's Twitch brain over here and there's screenwriting over there. I mean, Different I hemisphere. think that if you really want to be good at something and succeed, you really got to just pick a lane. And I just will never pick a lane. And so I'm fine being the master of none and just Jenny of you know of all trades because that's where my brain works. Why am I working on a stage play that's going to make me less money than anything I've made up until this point? And that's not a lot. So I don't care. But like, that's me. But if I, you know, I during COVID, I stream like five hours a day on Twitch and I made quite a bit, you know, I made a living because mm-hmm. you show up and you sh- and if I made a podcast every single week consistently, like that could turn into something. So I think, you know, in this world, it's about consistency and showing up and doing the same thing a lot. And, you know, um, that's great if that's for you. Right. But mm-hmm. I, inevitably, people who are Twitch streamers get burnt out and people who are TikTok people get burnt out because the constant output that the audience expects and will remember you to show up for you is exhausting, you know, YouTube, any of it. So the amount, and and you don't have support, like you might make a great living, but if once you hire the people who need to be hired to really make it a long-term business, like there's just no money, you know, like it, it doesn't amortize itself. So it is this weird creative, you know, churning mill that we're all in, that we're trying to get to the point where we can like have, you know, help to make what we are before we burn out. It's like a race. It's a race of survival almost. Sure. But so then is the answer to find those different platforms where you can own your own IP and do your own thing, right? Whether that's a comic book or a stage play. Is that the I think you got to find, again, you have to, I mean, in my opinion, you need to match what the work that you want to do. Yeah. And you want to put it out there. Like, like the ideal situation was me making little videos that were scripted that we made a, a movie a season, movie a year. That was a guild. It was a big event. We were able to make it event. People waited for it. And we were able to be creative around that. And that was like the ideal situation, right? For me, um, you know, making small scripted projects. Yes. So I think my advice would be like, what is your passion? Who are you? You know, you really have to do some deep, deep thinking about yourself and not where you want to be. Because you might end up there and not want to be there. Because you don't know yourself well enough. So dig down. What delights you? What is your, you know, the biggest compliment is that when my friend who was the voice director on Third Eye read the scripts, he was like, this is the most Felicia Day thing I've ever read. I was like, oh, thank you. (laughs) Because it's clear no one else can write that. And that's what art is, right? Like you see a Van Gogh. I'm not comparing myself to anybody this fancy, but I'm just saying, you know, you see a movie and you're like, oh, that's a Christopher, Chris Nolan movie. That's that's a Scorsese or like, that's, you know, that's an Adam Sandler comedy. I mean, like, you know, everybody's got their brand and like, that's the ultimate, uh, that's the ultimate goal and the ultimate compliment to be like, I can tell your work from other people's because it's obviously you. And I think that's the aspiration that we should all think about. And whatever venue supports that, whatever stories you're trying to say, whatever visual language you're trying to use. I mean, I think TikTok is fantastic. It's a beautiful place to be innovative and make vertical content where like do it figure out a way to tell your story but you got to know yourself first and I think that's the the thing that uh, people don't put as I I think that's the thing that people don't tell people to put as much work Mm -hmm. into but that's Mm -hmm. what's going to really serve you long term because if you had that voice who knows where you could put your voice you could put it on a multi-million dollar movie you could put it on a graphic novel you could put it on a web comic or tiktok 
it all be your work. You know, it's so funny because uh, we talk a lot about vision versus voice on the show. Oren and I will navel gaze for an episode or two, um, you know, depending on schedules. Um, and so as directors, you're often like, you know, you cringe at the idea of saying, oh, my vision, when, when you're talking about directing a Doritos commercial or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> the realization that we both had over the years is that, like, the bottom line is that you do have to guide the ship somehow. And you could call that a vision or you could call that, you know, something else, uh, a mandate or um, just an understanding of what we're all trying to make. But that is different than voice, right? Yeah. Oh, um, you think vision is different from voice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, because uh, your voice, it, I we think is like, or at least I think is much more um, internal and it, kind of impossible to shake. Once you figure it out, when you're making your own creative decisions, that that's your voice, right? Like, like the that little voice inside of you that's saying like, I like this and not that, or it should be red, not blue. That's mm-hmm. all your voice, right? Mm-hmm. But you could apply that to a Doritos commercial or a podcast or a comic book. Huh. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about it like that. I think, and you know what? You're right. I I think that's what's interesting about my experience with Hollywood and developing stories and stuff. Like I know what I know is right. Like I know Mm -hmm. what's right for me. right? Right. And then when you, but when you're in a system where you're servicing other people, especially as a writer, I think directors really get to hang. They, Part and parcel of a director is your voice, in a sense. But with screenwriting, it's kind of not in that it's very like they want what they want and they're going to mess with it until they can't. (laughs) And I think that was a thing that I really had a hard time with. Um, I think as a director, as long as you know your voice, you can you're expected to almost stick by your voice, even if they won't let you do everything. But it's like your voice is what you're being hired to to direct. So that's kind of interesting. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you are still in the you know um, a customer service gig ultimately, yeah. right? Like you're still even as a director, like you feel like you call the shots because you you know point and you know a handful of people put a crane there or something. But there's still <laughs> a friggin' executive who's like, I don't like that, you know. Or commercials yeah. is the worst, right? Like. Oh, you're, yeah. you're just setting money on fire and also like <laughs> you, you you know you literally have to like look over your shoulder at a video village full of assholes on their phone and like yeah. get a thumbs up from them before you can move on like no, I, know I know it's a good take i know yeah it's it's, it's infuriating no yeah. i know part of it is just like i want to be in, in a, a small cave and never see another person <laughs> sure. interfering with what i want to do again like that's yeah. and that's not and again and it seems know, like you figured it out felicia i think here we I don't are know, man. i don't know i'm you know my at a certain point i'll just well again i have an escape hatch i'm like i have the privilege of like if i can make enough of a living uh you know again i can always stream on twitch and write Kindle singles that I upload myself. And sure. if I could cobble it together and it's living like that, God bless myself. But, you know, um, it is a beautiful world we live in where that is a possibility for anybody. But at the end of the day, if you want to make something, you know, you want to make a TV show or a film or whatever, you got to somehow, you have to compartmentalize your voice. I love this. Now you've really changed the way I think about everything. Your voice and the business of it, uh, of the, the business. And uh, I think that's where I, I, I was a little too squishy and I just, you know, took it, it take it too seriously and too personally. And if you do that, you're going to die. <laughs> you're just going to yeah. get pounded in the ground. 
I, I mean, to, in your defense, though, I think like when we were young and decided to do this, the industry or what success looked like was different, right? Mm-hmm. And so we got a version of it, but without all of the benefits that we were thinking were coming, right? Like a little yeah. financial independent. Like if, if you had sold your your company for fuck you money, yeah, then it, it we, we would be having an utterly different conversation. Do you know I what I mean? I would be here. I'd be in Spain, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or maybe just like oh, you know, I'm partying with a bunch of rich people, and we put together an indie, and I, you know, I make a, a movie that goes to Sundance every four years. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Different, all my famous yeah, friends right. are in it, right? Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Right. No, but, but it, 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 I th- everything I did on the web was to since I was a struggling actor for so long, I think everything I did on the web was to cling to whatever independence I I felt like I had, and I did have independence. I made hundreds and hundreds of videos. I made dozens of really cool shows. I made one, you know, the guild, my outfit is in the Smithsonian Museum. Like, I, I mean, I still, I made it in my closet, you know, like, <laughs> so, so like I made a big impact. With, and I think because I had a taste of like, my ideas are worth something and my audience knows it. I was struggling so hard not to go to Hollywood where I knew that I would not be valued. And so finally, when I, I had to, cause I had to leave my company for mental health reasons, like. I was like, okay, this is it. Go in. You're going to do it. You have a lot of experience. I'm like, no, it's still not working for you. So like, I think it might just be a personality thing and that's okay. You just have to, you have to know what works for you. And I still love Hollywood for the things that aren't the things that I don't want to give them. And I guess (laughs) at the end of the day, you know, (laughs) it's great. (laughs) Yeah. I I think though, to give you some credit, I think that also Hollywood is just not making the things that any, they're not, not making anything that's not a Star Wars movie or a Marvel movie. Agree, right? agree. If we were right. in the early '90s and it was like yeah. reality bites time, yeah, yeah. I think mean, Squaresville was like one of the sure. best things that came out of, you know, those web times because it was like so indie, so like cool, so real. I was just like, I love the show. Thank you. Um, Thank you. That's, yeah, that's it was just amazing. Your voice was apparent, and it always still be. <laughs> that it always will be. Well, on that note, talk about an ending, Felicia. <laughs> um, do you have uh, a few minutes more to endorse with us? Sure, I, I have an endorsement, yeah. Unpaid endorsements. So my unpaid endorsement is a TikTok from a, a woman who calls herself Content by Callie, who talks about her advice for how to build a social media presence around a creative-based business. And this oh. is something that, like, I have, you know, I think filmmakers have a lot of anxiety about you're unsure of like how much is should be personality. Should it just be my reel? You know, I, you hear about people booking jobs through Instagram now all the time, especially DPs. We'll link it in the show notes, but it, it gives you just a very clear um, set of, you know, recommendations that kind of just give you the guidance that you're looking for. And her, the big top line takeaway is that, um, she describes what's called an indirect approach, right? So you're trying to just make people generally aware of you so that when people need your services, they think of you, right? Mm. Um, So it's not like, it's not hard sells all the time. It's BTS content. It's relatable content. It's a little bit of how-to. It's basically illustrating that you're working regularly, practicing your craft and doing cool stuff. So that, again, like I said, whether you're, you know, a musician or a filmmaker when it's like, I need a, a a song for this reason or I need a band or whatever. They think of you in a positive light that doesn't feel shilly. That's awesome. I'm going to 
follow content by Kelly. I uh, I I recently got on the TikTok bandwagon just like two months ago. I really was off of it, and I did because you know they. Tr- it was like a Vine thing. I hated Vine so much. I was like, I'm not going to do that. T-, you know, and I was like, Felicia, you got to get on there because Twitter is dead. That was your bread and butter. <laughs> it's dead. Um, so I'm going to definitely follow that. Okay. So mine is way more superficial and not useful unless Into the Woods by John York. I would say. Yeah. You, we, we littered a couple through out there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, I recently downloaded a brand new uh, iPhone game called My Suica. And it's like uh, Suica, it's. It's a Japanese game. It's kind of like Tetris where you drop fruit and you grow the fruit. It's like the most addictive phone game I've played in quite a while. And it's the perfect thing to not look at social media, just mm-hmm. kind of play some Mysuika. It's like Tetris. So I recommend it as a big time waster. It's free. You know, it's not going to kill you. M-Y-S-U-I-K-A. Gotcha. Mysuika. Okay. So just download it and have fun. I'm sorry. awesome well felicia this has been great if you have any questions for us uh if you want felicia back on the show just shoot us an email at just shoot it pod at gmail.com no promises she's very busy and you can also tweet us at uh, just shoot it pod across all social media i'm at mr matt Edlow. this episode was edited by noah bayshore thanks noah uh and uh some producing by him as well and tyler small and you're listening to music provided by the free music archive and the artist jazar thanks everyone goodbye Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market